Um, but guys, we are, I just want to say a massive thank you for camp, and we're well now into our Christmas series. We're into our second week of the Christmas series. Uh, it started last week with uh, Sir Ron sharing the message, and as usual, it was thoughtful and, and thought-provoking, uh, reassuring and invigorating. It was a really great message. Um, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it or to watch it, I'd highly recommend you do so. Um, and, and this is a, a four-week series, um, with, uh, and uh, God with us in the waiting is next week uh, on Christmas Eve, and then on Christmas Day, which is very close, um, God here with us. Uh, and so, as I said before, my name is Kyle, and I'm very happy to be bringing the second message in our Christmas series, um, The Faithful Through the Seasons, and the title of today's message I'm sharing this morning is God Worthy of Our Trust. Um, Stephen Covey, the, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, had said that trust is the glue of life. It is the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It is a foundational principle that holds all relationships. Um, I was speaking to someone recently about how uh, they'd been in an argument with uh, family members and we're talking about uh, forgiveness, we're talking about reconciliation and sort of the next steps that they can take. And they said, I've forgiven them, but I've learned that now I cannot trust them. And that means our relationship is forever changed. Trust is crucial. And if you don't have trust, then relationships just fall apart. Uh, and throughout the Bible, uh, there are explicit and implicit uh, directives to trust God. Um, in Isaiah 12, 2, it says, Come, uh, see, uh, sorry, see, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Again, in Isaiah 26, it says, You'll keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Trust in the Lord always, for the Lord God is the eternal rock. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. And the Hebrew word in all of those passages uh, for trust is, is a verb. Um, so it's an action word. It's not a, not a passive word. It's a word that means there is something to be done or that you need to do something. And all of those versions of trust using those passages all have the same definition, which is to be confident in, to trust, to be sure. And so trust in God, as we sort of look into it today, is, is not this um, passive, incidental thing. To trust in God is an active, doing, intentional step that you actually have to take. Uh, it's not just an idea uh, it's not just a decision even, but trust in the Bible is an action that takes place, according to these writers. Um, and so I was thinking about times of trust in my life, um, and, you know, when I've had to trust in things. And so has anyone here been uh, you know, bungee jumping or skydiving? Oh, okay, I see one. We got one hand. Can we have two? Two. Oh, two. Good work. All right. You guys should. It's really fun. And if it isn't fun, you'll never know. Like, it only ever goes wrong once, so don't worry. Uh, but anyone been bungee jumping, skydiving, I highly recommend it. It's a great thing. Um, but when you bungee jump or skydive, you have to understand that there is more than just the idea of trust at play, but there's also this actual step that you need to take. There's that motion when you move off the platform 
or out of the plane, there's that motion that you take that means that trust has become an action. It has moved from just uh, a thought. And so uh, these I've done both a, a couple times, and this is obviously not bungee jumping. This is skydiving. Um, so that's my, my uh, dive, skydiving instructor. His name is Cleve, um, and he was a very odd unit. Uh, but that's us skydiving over St Kilda somewhere. Um, but there was this, you know, this idea of like, well, yes, I, I do technically trust the parachute. I do technically trust Cleve. Uh, but trust is not just this idea. There's this point in which I actually have to do an action to indicate that I do trust him. And so here's a picture of what my trust actually looked like. Um, that's <laughs> that's, uh, that's my, my trust trust. I'll tell you this. Actually, okay. So we're, we're in these blue jumpsuits. Well, I don't know why I'm not there in that photo, but anyway, I've got this blue jumpsuit on underneath, and I, uh, I jumped out of the plane, did all the thing, and I landed, and my body was just in such tingly state that I was 100% sure that I'd wet my pants on the way down, and like I was just like, oh, I was so nervous and so scared that I was like 100% sure I'd wet my pants on the way down, and so like I ran off into the bathrooms, and they're like, oh, you must be feeling a bit sick, and I was like, no, I just need to check my underwear, because <laughs> I was like, I was terrified. But you should all bungee jump and skydive. You should all do it. That's my... Yeah, we should probably take that off the screen now. Uh, we, don't, we don't need that photo in anyone's heads any longer than it needs to be. Um, but as we uh, dive into today's message... In my message here, it says, no pun intended, but all puns were intended. Um, I, want us to, I want us to wrestle with the question of, do we believe that God is worthy of our trust? Like the title of the message is God, worthy of our trust. But I think the thing that you need to wrestle with is, do we believe that God is worthy of our trust? And so we're going to look at that today. Um, Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for you. I want to thank you for your goodness and your goodness to us. Lord, I want to thank you for uh, this book of the Bible that uh, we can wholly and solely trust in, that we can, we can build our lives um, on and around. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for uh, your word. I want to thank you for your presence and your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we look into scripture, Lord, I pray that you'll be speaking to us, um, whether it be from what I say, whether it be from what your scripture says, or whether it be from your Holy Spirit just ministering to us throughout. Lord, I just pray that you'll be speaking to us today. Amen. Um, so the way I, I want to do this is, I want to look through some of the Old Testament through a bit of a, I guess, a, a long scope, and in doing so, give us a bit of a better understanding of God's character and his faithfulness to his promises. So I'm going to be reading through a lot of different Bible passages today. Um, and the Bible is just littered with promises, covenants, or even just agreements uh, from God. Uh, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, once said, the pathway of life is strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. Meaning our life is just completely uh, covered and spoken about through Scripture with so many promises from God that it's hard for us to move without coming into contact with a promise or an agreement that God has made and given to us. And so let's um, slowly sort of start to work our way through the Bible. Uh, We'll start near the start, which is in Genesis chapter 2, 15 to 17. And it says... Uh, The Lord God placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend over and to watch it. But then the Lord warned him, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. 
Now, question, is God worthy of our trust? Oh, goodness. Is God worthy of our trust? That's what we want to hear. So we know from this uh, writing in Genesis, and then as we read the scriptures, that sin, death, and separation from God did come into the world through the disobedience of one man, just as God said it would. And then we move a little bit further into Genesis, the same book, and we look at chapter 18. And we read read another promise from God to a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah. And so it says, The Lord showed himself to Abraham by the oak trees of Mamre as he sat at the tent door in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them. He put his face to the ground and said, Lord, if I have found favor with your eyes, please do not pass by your servant. Let us have a little water brought to wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree, and I will get a piece of bread that you may eat and get strength. After that, you'll go on your way since you have come with your servant. I haven't put the whole passage on the screen, sorry. Um, The men said, do as you have. And so Abram ran into the tent to get Sarah, his wife, and said, hurry, get three pails of fine flour, mix it well, make bread, uh, yada, yada, yada. Then these people, they said to Abraham, they said, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. And the Lord said, I will be sure to return with you, uh, return to you at this time next year. And your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old. They had lived many years. The way of woman had stopped for Sarah, as in she probably wasn't biologically able to have a baby anymore. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Will I have this joy after my husband and I have grown old? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, How can I give birth to a child when I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So a husband and a wife, waiting for the gift of children, and not just waiting one or two years, uh, not just three or four years, decades And decades and decades and decades and decades of waiting. Frustrating. And then they meet with God and he makes a promise to them. Then in chapter 21 it reads this. Then the Lord visited Sarah as he said and did for her as he had promised. Sarah was able to have a child and she gave birth to a son when Abraham was very old. He was born at the time that the Lord said it would happen. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, who was born to him by Sarah. Is God worthy of our trust? And we go a little bit further down the track, and we see that Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac, and Isaac and Rachel or Rebekah have a son named Jacob, and Jacob and Rachel have sons in Benjamin and Joseph. And I think most of you guys would know the story of Joseph. Um, He's one of the 12 kids fathered by Jacob. Uh, Jacob had other ladies that he had children with. Um, uh, But yeah, he was one of 12 kids fathered by Jacob. And Joseph was sold into slavery uh, by his brothers and ended up working in Egypt. In the process of doing so, he found himself in the employ of a person named Potiphar. And Potiphar worked for the pharaoh of Egypt or the king or the ruler of Egypt. And this leads to Joseph eventually working for the pharaoh and eventually leads to Joseph giving advice to the king, the ruler of Egypt, on how the king and ruler of Egypt should prepare for a famine that was coming, that only Joseph knew about. And it says, when the famine struck, in Genesis 41, it says, and when the famine struck, all people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. 
because the famine was severe throughout the world. Now, this is obviously very interesting that God has led Joseph to this place, that he's able to help out Egypt because there's a worldwide famine and Joseph is able to sort of take part in it. That's obviously great on its own merit. But when we dig a little bit deeper, we see actually how truly incredible it is. Because back a couple generations that I've gone through, back when Abraham wasn't even Abraham, back when Abraham was still called Abram, back when Abraham did not have any children, back when Abraham was first setting out to follow God's calling, back when Abraham didn't have any land or didn't have any status, God spoke to him and made him a promise before these other promises. And it says this in Genesis 12, the call of Abram. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So not only did this old man who never thought he was going to have any children end up having children, but his children's children would end up being the very person who helped an entire nation survive a worldwide famine. So back when Abraham was still called Abram, God promised him that I will make you a great nation, that I will make your name great, and that all peoples on earth will be blessed by you. And surviving a famine sounds like a blessing to me. So I ask, is God worthy of our trust? Yes. Now, if you remember earlier, I said that Joseph was one of 12 sons, and another one of those sons is called Judah. Uh, And Judah is an important character in the grand scheme of things. Uh, He goes on to have a son, Perez. Perez, a son, Hezron. Hezron, a son, Ram. Ram, a son, Abinadab. Abinadab, a son, Nashon. Nashon, a son, Salmon. Salmon, a son, Boaz. Boaz, a son, Obed. Obed, a son, Jesse. Jesse, a son, David. Now, you'll know David as the King David. King David from the Bible who wrote most of the Psalms and some of the other books. Now, he's an important character. I went through a lot of generations and hopefully I didn't mess them up. But King David was one of the first kings of Israel and had a beautiful and complex relationship with the Lord. And in 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan is told by God to go and tell this thing to King David. So prophet Nathan goes to David and says, Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod like any father would. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house, your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And your throne will be secure forever. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And your throne will be secure forever. And add this to the promise that God made to Abraham, of whom David is a descendant of. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And if we follow the line of David, and I won't go through all of those names, uh, but if we follow the line of David and we trace the descendants that fall from his tree, we come to find ourselves meeting a baby boy who is born far from the comfort of a normal bed, A baby boy born in a manger to a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph. A baby named Jesus. Jesus who sits on a throne at the right hand of God for all eternity. Just as was promised to King David, Jesus who was born as a way for all peoples to be rescued for their sin 
and entered into a right relationship with God, people of all earth being blessed through Jesus, just as God had promised to Abraham. Just as was foretold in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where it says, But you, Bethlehem, through you, although you are the small clan of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over all of Israel, whose origins are old from ancient time. Ask, is God worthy of our trust? And then a little story about Jesus, just shortly after he was born, he was taken into the temple for a purification offering. And in Luke chapter 2, we read this. It's called the prophecy of Simeon. And at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and and had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. A man who had held on to a promise from God that he would see a Messiah, being led by the Spirit to that temple on that day, held the promise of God in his arms. And so I ask, is God worthy of our trust? And I know that I am just jumping through passages here at a blistering rate, and I'm not even going deep to find all the covenants and the promises and prophecies that God spoke about himself and spoke about Jesus and God spoke to his people. This is just a brief glimpse. But in this glimpse, do we not see a picture of God staying true, a God to be confident in, a God to be sure of, and a God to trust actively, the verb trust, actively. We do, don't we? We, we do. We, we see a trustworthy God. And yet, and yet, and therein lies this seed of doubt. What if the parachute doesn't open? You know, I trust it. And yet, we intellectually know that God can be trusted. We theoretically know that God can be trusted. We theologically know that God can be trusted. And yet, God's promise to Adam fulfilled. God's promise to Abram and then Abraham fulfilled. God's promise to King David fulfilled. God's promise to Micah fulfilled. God's promise to Simeon fulfilled. And yet, and yet. And you know what I think might be a big hurdle, a big thing that might be the rock in our backpack that keeps us from running freely into the arms of trust? I think we tie God's faithfulness into a cord that also contains our health and well-being. They go together in our minds. So when our health and well-being suffer, so too does our trust in God's faithfulness. When our health fails, so too does our trust in God's faithfulness. When our finances falter, so too does our trust in God's faithfulness. When our plans for marriage and kids slowly slip away, so too does our trust in God's faithfulness. When our visa or our internship or our placement or our apprenticeship comes to an unsatisfying end, so too does our trust in God's faithfulness. God, you know, why? I'm your servant. Uh, I I trusted you. I I followed you. I obeyed you. I represented you. Uh, I trusted you. And I look through the scripture and I look at all these things that you did for all these people in the Bible. Like, what about... 
Shannon Noll, what about me? You know, it isn't fair. God kept his promise to Abraham. Yeah, but what about me? Well, God did keep his promise to Abraham. Did you know that Abraham was also 100 years old when Isaac was born? Our in-laws and my parents had to wait 10 whole years for us to have kids. Abraham was 100 years old. That's an awful long time to be waiting, isn't it? A disappointingly long time. Is God worthy of our trust? Yeah. God kept his promise regarding Joseph that the descendants of Abraham would bless the people on earth and that Abraham's name would be made great. But did you know that Joseph was also cast out from his own family? That he was sold into slavery? That he was wrongfully imprisoned? That he spent the remainder of his life in a land far away from his home? Is God worthy of our trust? God kept his promise to King David, just like he said he would. But did you also know that David was chased by King Saul for years with the intent on killing David? That David was haunted by terrible decisions that he'd made throughout his life? And that David's family was plagued by tragedy? Is God worthy of our trust? God kept his promise written in Micah about a ruler coming out of Bethlehem. But did you know this ruler, Jesus, would go on to live a life rejected by his own people, despised by the very people that he came to save? Is God worthy of our trust? I can go through like the Bible book by book in the Old Testament and the New and show you time and time again about how God has stayed true and faithful to his promises. And at the same time, I can also show you the lives of the people and they have experienced, who have experienced God's fulfillment and God's promises are coming true that they are not exempt from the hardships of life. Both things can be true. God's faithfulness and life's hardships. But when we lose sight of the bigger picture of God's handiwork through the generations, we get blinded by the immediate. We forget that God doesn't just see now, but he sees all. And we get tricked into thinking uh, that like, you know, that this moment, this thing that you are experiencing right here and right now is the culmination and the climax of everything. Uh, Ron spoke last week about how eternity in, in history is being contained in just like this, this sliver. Our day, one day of our lives, takes up so much space and time in our minds. Like often one day is just everything to us. It is all we see. It is all we have here and now. But in the eyes of God, the entirety of the world's history is just a sliver. It is a page in a book. And we only live one lifetime. Like we only get to see one lifetime worth of movement. Um, my grandpa on my mum's side uh, was an orphan. He grew up in London, uh, grew up in a London orphanage and, and never knew his parents. So you can imagine what the orphanages were like in London back then. Um, so if that's all he sees, four-year-old in an orphanage, is God worthy of our trust? Yeah. Growing up in an orphanage, no adults who cared for him. Is God worthy of our trust? My grandma on my mum's side as well is uh, Indonesian and she was separated from her family in the war in Indonesia when she was just a child. So she and her mother and the girls in the family fled to Holland. And most of them never saw their family again. So is God worthy of our trust? The answer is yes, even in the midst of the trash of life. 
Because I want us to lift our eyes and see the bigger picture. Because that grandma of mine meets that grandpa of mine. And that pairing makes a mother of mine who meets a father of mine. And that pairing makes, uh, goes on to become a missionary overseas or missionaries overseas. And that pairing makes a beautiful boy named Kyle. And Kyle meets Rachel and have two beautiful kids who go to a wonderful church in Clayton. Like, is God worthy of our trust? We let turmoil and, and hardship and frustration and grief and loss and the immediate needs encroach our vision and make our vision small. But when we lift our eyes, we see the larger story. Like we see the movement of God through the generations, through the seasons, through the ages. That God has not forgotten us or forsaken us. That God is at work and has been at work and will be at work. The stress in your life, the loss in your life, uh, the hard times in your life do not prove that God is not worthy of your trust. In fact, to emphasize the point even more, Jesus told us that life would be hard. John 16.33 says, I've told you all this so that you have, may have peace in me. Here on earth you will know many trials. Here on earth you will know many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I guess what I really want to stress is this. God's track record, God's track record of his promises and keeping his word is currently unbroken. His wind streak is still going. He has yet to falter. He has yet to fail to deliver. And he is worthy of our trust. But we have the problem of immediacy. We are stuck here. We are stuck in this moment right now. We can't experience any more than right here, right now. And this robs us of this greater view that God has. And we question God's trustworthiness when the immediacy of life hits us. I'm not downplaying how hard life can be. Like, I get it. But if you could only see the fruits of your trust in God over the generations... If only you could see what happens when you trust that parachute, when you, when you step off that platform. If only you could see the work that God can do through the generations of people that are willing to trust him. And you may never fully, fully see it while you live here on earth. We only get to live one lifetime here. So you may never fully see the fruits of your trust, but trust that God is faithful through the seasons. Um, Hebrews 11 speaks of this. Uh, and keep in mind that the word faith here uh, in Greek means faith, belief, trust, confidence, faithfulness. So trust, it, you can use trust in faith here. Uh, I might actually get the band to come on stage while I read this part. But Hebrews 11, bits and pieces of it say this. Faith shows the reality of what we have hoped for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the old days earned a good reputation by faith, by trust, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that we did not see it come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith or trust that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith or trust, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God when God called him to leave and go to another land that God would give as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. It was by faith 
or trust that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand of the sea, there's no way to count them. And all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive fully uh, what was promised to them, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. Don't let the worries and the hardships of today rob you of the greater vision of God's faithfulness through the years. Because God has never failed us. He never will. God is worthy of our trust and our continued faith, our continued active faith in Him allows us to experience His movement and His work through the generations. I encourage you to to weigh all of the things that are going on in your life in light of history, not just in light of today. Yes, things might be hard now, but that doesn't change God's faithfulness through the seasons. And learn, learn to lift your eyes and imagine what God can do through the generations when you believe that God is worthy of your trust. Not just you, your kids, your cousins, your friends, their families. What can God do through the generations of these people that generation after generation trust, trust, actively trust in God, that don't quit, that don't give up, that don't throw their hands up when the immediacy of life blinds them to God's bigger picture and God's faithfulness. Imagine what God can do when we lift up and see the bigger picture and we trust, we trust. A verb, it's a doing word. It's not passive when we trust in God's faithfulness through the seasons.